Now, I'm going to let you keep seated today. We've got a number of scripture verses, and I'll, I'm going to just begin by opening up with the first one that I have listed, and uh, that is from the book of Genesis, chapter 1, beginning with the first verse. Get your Bibles, turn with me. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void. Now, the Hebrew terms that, when they translated the, the Hebrew Bible into Greek first, into the Septuagint, the Greek word they translated from the Hebrew, and it's accurate, without form and void, carries with it the concept of chaos, of complete disorder. Um, Every once in a while, my dog and cat, this big black cat, I, they get into it. Now, that cat's the alpha animal at house. Even Elizabeth and I obey him. But when they get into it, the only word to describe is complete chaos. And, uh, and so if you get the picture of a complete, everything in disorder, everything out of place, everything, nothing making sense, nothing fitting together, that's what it was like before creation. And listen. And the Spirit of God, third person of the Trinity, was hovering over the face of the waters. And notice what happens. Then God said. Can we repeat that together? Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. So the evening and morning were the first day. One day last week, I, after I finished getting part of the work done here at Lakeview, I drove up to Baptist Hospital at Winston-Salem. And uh, I drove up there because my friend Dale Wagstaff, who had a stroke and he still wasn't in it, you know, he was all over the place, that I knew that his wife and brother needed a break, and their family's all from New York. So I came up there and I said, Deborah, you and Wendell, go home, get some rest, don't worry about Dale, I'm going to sit here with him tonight. And uh, I just want to share that when my first wife died, uh, Dale and Debbie, we're always around, you know, in those first few weeks, you need somebody around sometime. And so it was an honor to be able to return a little grace and love to them. But as I sat there through the night, and I, I could not sleep because he was, I was watching him, was always restless, and 
and I would get the nurse if his pain got severe and, and it did a time or two. And, and so I was awake throughout the night. And sometimes that's a good thing, you know that? Because I did some reflecting and, and I was just thinking about the events and little did I know that in just a few more days my lifelong friend Roy Cobb would be dead. But I was just reflecting uh, about events that there's Dale much younger than me and I was thinking that in last, the previous week, three of my high school classmates in my graduating class passed away. Uh, they, uh, uh, and I didn't have a big class. There were about 83 in that class. And as you sit at night and you begin to reflect over your life, that's a good thing to do. And I came, which I've known, but I came to realize again that, that my days are numbered. It may be that very soon the Lord shall take me. I can take young people too, incidentally, like my friend Will who's struggling for his life. But, but, but that's a reality, isn't it? And it's, 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 we need to realize that. Or it may be, I, I don't know, you know, it seems like the history of my ministry has been among churches that weren't were anxious or in trouble in, in a way as this one was and, and Bex was and the Lord's never sent me to a church that didn't have some major issues when I got there. And I watched the Lord resolve them. And I learned a long time ago not to tell the Lord what I was going to do because uh, I got this situation in Hawaii settled down, and boy, you're talking about a paradise place to be, especially after it got settled down, and, uh, and uh, I said, well, you know, I'm probably going to stay here the rest of my life, and, and the Holy Spirit said, no. And um, I left there and walked into a real hornet's nest, but any, anyway... He, he sent me into the hornet's nest. That's why I got thick hide, I guess. But, but it, I, as I sat there in the evening, I began to reflect on my life. And may I tell you, congregation here, I have never loved a people like I love you. And consequently, I've never experienced the love and gratitude and appreciation and encouragement, even with my many faults, that I've experienced here. And I think about that and how much fun I'm having working here in this place, and, and it kind of scares me, you know. But I realized, as I thought, whether the Lord takes me away by death or some other calling, what do I want you to know? I read a lot of the Puritans. Anybody looks at my Facebook, besides those corny jokes I put up there, I put a lot of quotes from a lot of those great preachers of and teachers of the Scottish and English church from the 1500s and 1600s, and of course from the late 1800s, my favorite preacher, Charles Spurgeon. 
But I, as I sat there that evening in the, it's, it's close to dawn, the light was just beginning to start up in, in the east of the sun. And, and I thought about what John Owen said to every preacher he taught. When you preach, preach as a dying man. Now what he meant by that, what he meant by that, don't write sermons to entertain. And don't write sermons to make people laugh. But write sermons that if this was the last chance you ever had to speak, you would speak those words. I've talked to the deacons some about this, and we're going to be looking more and more because, you know, I may be here another two years. I may be here only three more months. Or I may be here for the last time today. But we've been talking about those, the future of this church. And I want you all to be an intimate part of that conversation because it just doesn't concern the deacons. It concerns you. And, uh, and uh, you know, I, I have great visions of this church. I think this church is just on the beginning point. And I believe that, uh, that we have people now here in this church concerned about lost souls that haven't been concerned about them before. And that's the primary concern of saved people is lost souls. Brother Joseph made that clear. I'm making it clear. If you're not concerned about lost souls, I would doubt your salvation. But um, so anyway, but so one of the things I talk to our deacons about is the role of Scripture. And I said, if the Lord takes me home before I leave here as pastor, or if he carries me to some foreign field, when the next pastor comes, and, and, and I said, I want you all to insist on this. I want you to ask them a question about the Bible. And if they will not confess that the Bible is the inerrant, infallible word of God, if they waffle on that the least bit, you don't want them. Now, there are a lot of other questions you ask. Hopefully, your next preacher will be better looking than me. Uh, but uh, anyway, you'll never have a preacher that loves you anymore. I love you, though. I promise that. But anyway, the, the point is that, that today's message in, is entitled, The Centrality of the Word of God. The Word of God is, is, is the testimony and the witness of who he is. It's his revelation. And if you read anything anybody writes about God that does not line up with this scripture, do not believe it. You know, we live in a world today that there are two views of scripture out there uh, in the world. There's the high view of scripture and the low view of scripture. The low view of scripture will make the scriptures less than completely authoritative, less than, than the pure, inerrant, infallible Word of God. And there are plenty of those out there. We've watched the great denomina historic denominations of this country start to fall apart. 
I'm afraid the United Methodist Church is getting ready to commit suicide. In their next general conference, they're going to decide whether their historic teachings on human sexuality as marriage between a man and a woman or celibacy is the only Christian lifestyle, which I will tell you according to the word of God is completely accurate. But they're going to decide that if that is really the rule for their church today. And we watch the antecedent of this church, the United Church of Christ, uh, clearly walk away from the word of God not only on that teaching, but on abortion and on missions and in so many other places. There are people who will say, well, I had a, a leader of the denomination say to me, well, Gerald, you must understand, we've moved beyond the Apostle Paul. That's a pretty slick sounding term, so I just ask him, where have we moved? And he couldn't tell me. So that was just a cover for setting aside the word of God. Lakeview people, the word of God is the word of God. If your life personally is in disorder, I promise you the word of God will bring it back into order. Everybody's life gets in chaos from time to time, doesn't it? Sometimes it's by things we bring on ourselves, and sometimes it's over things we have no control of, and we, we have to begin to deal with it. And how do we begin to deal with it? You look to the Holy Word of God, and it will direct you how to deal with it. Whether it's anger in your heart towards someone in your family, or someone's done wrong, or or whether it's uh, being overwhelmed by financial things that you didn't choose to bring on yourself, you look to that word, and that word will give you guidance. Why will it give you guidance? Because it is God's truth. And God, you, did you note, know, I, I had you read it twice, it was through the speaking of the word, the speaking of the word that God brought chaos into perfect order. When God's word commanded the deep, when God's word created the world, when God's word created all the animals, when God's word created man, when God's word created woman, created the garden, his word made it perfect, right? And it was only through disobeying his direction that chaos came, and we still struggle with that, don't we? The word of God is powerful. And there's the high view of Scripture, which is my view, which is the Bible's view, which is the true church's view, not the false church, the true church's view in every age. And that is God's Word is truth, and anything that contradicts it is a lie. You can walk up the streets with the rainbow banners all the time and say, same-sex relationships is all right. I read an article by a 
a religion professor in the university right near here when, who said that, that, well, God would approve of women having abortions because uh, God wants everybody to have an abundant life. And then went on to cite as her authoritative source the actions of the Presbyterian Church and the, and the United Methodist Church and a host of others that supported that. Bible does not support that. You see what's going on today. It's, I mean, it's, 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 it's much like the old downgrade controversy that Spurgeon had to deal with. I want Lakeview to be safe in its life. And, and if, I, if, if I can just leave the word with you that, that let your confidence on your knowledge of God and what is truth rest in the Bible. It was that word which brought the perfect order. It was our disobedience that destroyed that order. And then, if I might have you turn with me to uh, the Gospel of St. John, the first chapter. We've been looking at that in the Bible study. I hope people are enjoying that study. I'm enjoying teaching it. But if we begin there in 1 John, it reads, chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. Now, the word there, Greek word, is logos. That is applied to the Word, but it has a double meaning. And the double meaning is the Christ, the Messiah. So it says, in the beginning was the Word. Uh, uh, Jesus was at the beginning with God. Three in one. Pre-existent. You may not be able to get your head around that. But you accept it. Um, and, um, and, and, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So it's perfect unity, you see. But, but again, the Word here functions as that which brings order to all things. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him was nothing made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Somebody said to me one time, you know, people really don't think. Somebody said, well, I, I, I follow Jesus, not necessarily the Bible. This person said that to me as a person that's gone back to his great-great-grandfather's faith, a Hinduism. Jesus is the Word. In other words, God's holy revelation in the Bible is the, is the revealing of himself, of who he is. How would you know about Jesus if you didn't have the Bible? How would you know what he taught if you didn't have the Bible? The Bible is God's revelation of who Jesus is and what he's about. And he is the God that brings order to our life. And praise God, you know, we talked about what happened in Genesis when the world fell into sin and we were all bound by sin. Jesus, the Word, brings the reordering of our lives, doesn't he? 
that we once were lost, we once were condemned. Jesus, the Word, coming into the world, dying in our place, showing us the way to life. And if you want to know Jesus, you know the Word. And finally, I want to, now just because I'm saying finally doesn't mean I'm through preaching, but uh, don't get excited, but, but, um, but I want to take you over to Second uh, Timothy. Now, Paul's writing to Timothy. Timothy was, was Paul's right-hand man, and he was almost like his son. Have you ever had a, a, a person come into your life that was just like your own child? I've had a couple. Uh, one of them was a convert from Islam that I got to know in, in Hawaii, and he blessed me, and he... And I bless him. He lives in Australia. He's always telling me to go to see him. I said, number one, getting time and getting the money to come to Australia is a big task for me. But, but I said, we're still with you. you know, and I love that man. And I, he, he, he's, he's leading people to Christ all the time. He's, a, he's a, a, an acupuncture specialist. But he's, his, his real ministry is leading people to Jesus. He, he, he led his wife's family to Christ. He, he's working on his daddy and, he, and he's working on his... And I, so I can grasp, you know, the relationship Paul has to Timothy because Majid's at one heart with me about my concern for the lost. And Paul, Timothy was like Paul's own son in the faith. And, and so he's writing these instructions. And if we go to the third chapter, and let's begin with verse 10. But, care, but you have carefully followed my doctrine. He's been faithful to what Paul's taught. Manner of life, purpose, faith. Long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which have happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and Lystra, what persecutions I endure. And out of all of them, the Lord delivered me. Yes, and all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Did you catch that? Just remember that. You may not be undergoing it now, but time will come. You will if you're living a godly life. But evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse. Sounds like today, doesn't it? Deceiving and being deceived. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of knowing from whom you have learned them. And from that childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures. which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Now listen to this. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. That word inspiration doesn't really come across in any translation, really. You know, that's the thing about Greek. Greek has very specific meaning. English is like Swahili. It's a trade language. We don't get real precise with English. English is a mixture of a whole bunch of languages. And, uh, and we still mix it up. Some of these Yankee friends of mine don't understand what I'm saying part of the time. But that word inspiration is yumita. It means it is breathed out by God. 
It is from the depths of his life and his being. It is breathed out by God, which means it is infallible, inerrant. That's what the Word of God is. And that's, that's why I want to stress to you as an individual and to the church that it is important. Listen to what I'm saying. It is important that you receive it as the directive. It is not up for debate. The only people that stand against the Word of God are people that are rejecting it. And he goes on to say, it is profitable for doctrine. In other words, what the church teaches is grounded in Scripture. Not in philosophy. Not in science. Not in psychology. It is grounded in the Word of God. For reproof, correction. You know, the Lord, word of God came to me this week and it corrected me on something I was thinking. Now, you may have less confidence in me as a preacher to tell you that I have sins that I have yet to overcome, overcome many, but we're all in the same place, aren't we? And it's a blessed thing, isn't it? To put anything behind you that does not give honor and glory to God. For correction, not just telling you you're wrong, but telling you how to get it right. For instructions in righteousness, not what appears to be good, but what is really good. That the man of God may be complete Thoroughly equipped for every good word, work. So you see what the Bible does. The Bible needs to be the, the, the breathed out. You know, Holy Spirit is also referred at times as like a breath, like breathe, breathed out upon us to correct us and to guide us. Unforgiveness has no place in a godly life. Did you know that? I don't care what they've done. There's no place. If Jesus had cried from the cross, Father, forgive them for they know what, what they do. Forgive. Unforgiveness has no place in our life. Coveting. You know, I talk about a little Addison's hair. It, isn't it beautiful? And I love red hair. I wish I'd had red hair. But I'm not supposed to covet his hair. Praise God he's got it. Thank God I've got what little I've got. But, but the, the point is that the, the Word of God is to be our guidance. Dealing with sorrow. Thank God I know that we shall live again in Jesus Christ. The Word teaches me that. The Word witnesses that. Thank God I could... Remember, my friend, and no, he's more alive than I am. The Word of God, don't you see? And whatever it is that the church or the believer deals with in, in, its, in its corporate life 
are in its own private life. The reference point for Lakeview Church and for you as to what is right and what is wrong, what is correct and what is incorrect, must center in the Word of God. The Word of God is central to the life of any true believer and any true church. And if I'm incorrect with the Word of God, you're graceful when you tell me. Because you see, the Word of God through Christ gives life. You know, King David, the Bible says, was a man after God's own heart. People sometimes puzzle at that. Because if you look at, uh, at the life of David, looking from the outside, we might say, how can that be? David committed the most hard of hard crimes. Knowingly murdering, not an enemy, not a person who was disloyal, but a friend who served him faithfully, who was devoted to him, because David wanted that man's wife. And David arranged the battle plan in such an order that he knew his friend would be killed. That's premeditated murder, is it not? And that recognition of the sin in his life did for David something that has to happen to every person if they walk with God. And that is the breaking of all human pride and glory in oneself. You ever thought about it that way? That was the crushing of David when Nathan reproved him with the truth. And David, from that point on it seems, walked closer to God than he ever had before. And he writes powerfully in verse, beginning in verse 9 in the 119th Psalm, and I, I just want to lay this verse on you. He asks the question, how can a, a young man cleanse his way? How can we be in the right way? How can you be in the right way? How can this church be in the right way? That's the question, isn't it? Young people, that's the question for you. How can you be in the right way? Adults, that's the question for you. How can you be in the right way? And know it. By taking heed according to your word. Now, taking heed is an old-fashioned way of saying, do what it says do. 
with my whole heart, I mean really with purity of heart, I have sought you. Are you doing that today? With your whole heart, are you seeking God? I'll tell you how you can know in an instant. And it goes right back to what Pastor Joseph told us. You can know in an instant. You can know in an instant by asking yourself, how much time am I personally spending in the Word of God? I like American pickers. Every time they come on, I go through all that junk we've got. And I say, Maybe I... <laughs> Not really. What I'd like to do with most of it is put it in a dumpster. But sometimes you can't do that. But uh, anyway, the, the, the point is that, that I need to spend at least more time on tele, on, in the Bible than I spend with television. put up a poster, I think I stole it from Elizabeth, on, on Facebook shows a, a church almost empty. And then it shows a clip of a football stadium packed completely. Now that was a college game, I'm sure, because nobody's going to the NFL much anymore. But, but, but and, and you say, well, why does the church has no power? Look at this. Stadium full, church partially empty. You are not getting your life straight, and this church's life will not be straight until we spend time giving heed to the Word of God, and the only way that you and I can give heed to it is to be in it. The only way you're going to really get power and joy and fullness of the Lord in your life is to be in His Word, and the Holy Spirit will give it to you. Oh, my friends, hide that word in your heart and church. If you never remember a thing this preacher said to you, church, this is the word of God. And if you ever allow your decisions or directions to be shaped by anything other than this word, you will be headed in the wrong direction and God will deal with you. But if you love it, and you may, you'll fail in keeping it perfectly. I do. But if you love it and it is the direction of your life, you will walk with Christ. You will know him. You will discern him. And he will use you for glory. And he will give you peace in your life that you would have never known otherwise. What is the Bible for you? A book you praise or a book you live? And you can't live it if you don't know it. The Bible's not hard to understand. That's a lie from the pit of hell. Even a little child. You, you listen to these little children. Praise God for our children's division. As well as our youth. But praise God for our children's division. I talk to these little children. I'll never forget if I lived to be a thousand. Little Charlie. That when they gave the invitation. And we had the 
the, the Strong for Christ group here. I'll never forget if I lived to be a thousand, two years old, running down the aisle. I love Jesus. I love Jesus. I love Jesus. Pilate asked Jesus a question. What is truth? Remember that? Just getting ready to condemn him because the Jews wanted him condemned and the whole world wanted him condemned, not just the Jews. And Jesus didn't answer him because Jesus knew that Pilate did not really care about the truth. Pilate cared about his own place. But he was talking to his disciples. Let's hear him talking to us. Just before the crucifixion in John 17. He looked at his disciples. And then he prayed that great priestly prayer. Pastor Joseph alluded to it. And he prayed for disciples then. And he prayed for disciples now. O Lord, sanctify them with the truth. Now, what sanctification really, if we can pull it to a nutshell, is living the true Christian life, living the true godly life, living the true righteous life. That's what sanctification is. Inwardly and outwardly. Sanctify them with the truth. And then what does he say? Hear it. He's saying it to you and to me as he prays for us. Thy word is truth. My word to you as an individual as a church. If I never get the privilege of preaching to you again. Take God's word into the depths of your life and know it. It is central to a church living the right life. It is central to you and I living the right life. My father did not come to Christ until he married my mother. He'd gone to church, but it was one of those kind of nominal places. He'd been a great sportsman and an athlete and fairly well known in the town for lots of things, a lot of them not good. But he told him about kneeling in our living room with our old preacher Davenport and asking Jesus to come into his life and to truly save him, save him he said, from not being an outward Christian, but of being an inward. And that's the only kind of Christian there is, an inward. And this I would note about him, just to share quickly. He 
his free time at home in his big old green chair was mostly spent reading his Bible. And everybody loved him. And everybody honored him. Because you see, the Word of God was his central informant about his life and his work. Everybody said, well, the preacher preached about the importance of the Bible, and it was good, I hope. And if you go home and don't wrap yourself in it, you haven't heard a word I have said. And deacons and leaders, if we don't make the word of God our basis for decision-making, we haven't heard a word I'm saying. Thank God for his gift of the Holy Word to the preaching of which God leads people to Christ. To the study of which God's people learn to live for Christ and the thorough examination of which church leadership becomes godly Holy leadership. And you're not going to beat the Baptists to lunch today, but I am finished.